All right, everybody, welcome back to the showcase. I'm your host, Paris Jackson. On today's episode, we go into Washington and Sacramento, two franchises that have been mired by mediocrity. That's a lot of big words for you, but I got some smaller words coming up. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the showcase. All right, so all quiet still on the free agency front, though we did have some things come to light earlier this week. A Celtics trade for Kevin Durant was presented as being on the table, Jalen Brown and some picks with Derek White, I believe, for uh, Kevin Durant straight up. And the Nets, I believe, refused, or the Celtics refused. Either way, it's not going through. We could see some movement happen. I know it's been four weeks to this point with, you know, the KD saga, and hopefully we see that come to a close pretty soon with him deciding, you know, where it is ultimately that he is going to be sent. I guess him deciding would be uh, inaccurate, but the uh, teams vying for him being more accurate on who's going to decide where he's going to go based on the package that they put together. But, you know, I don't think he's really gonna go anywhere if you ask me like I think the package that the Nets would want in return doesn't gonna isn't gonna put them on a timeline with all the other moves that they've made plus you know it came out that Kyrie Irving Kyrie Irving's had a couple of different things said you know in his uh in his voice whether it's from him directly or not is to be unknown but you know there was he wants to go link up with LeBron again he wants to stay in Brooklyn with KD. He wants to go where KD goes. He wants to stay with the Nets, whether or not KD is there. So, you know, he's said a ton of things. He did post like, hey, I'm, I'll see you guys in the fall, which feels like it puts an end to whether or not he's leaving Brooklyn. But I mean, Kyrie there, Ben Simmons hopefully coming back, Joe Harris healthy, the other pieces that they have around the Nets. I, I feel like KD leaving that situation, it, it what the Nets could get in return is not going to be enough no matter who is paying the price and whoever is paying the price is probably paying way, way, way too much um, to really make it make sense. So I, I really don't think he's going to go anywhere. Um, and that's really all we've had in terms of news on the basketball front. I know, again, once again, we're we're gearing up for, um, you know, NBA season here or NFL season here as uh, football kicks off in, what, three weeks' time, right? August 4th is really just around the corner when uh when the first preseason game is and then September 8th the season kicks off and I mean you know it's the 27th so we'll see we'll, we'll see football very very soon and then basketball shortly after that but it's been quiet um so that brings us to today's show as usual we are on part four of this little series that we have going on here just going working our way back up through the ranks we're trying finally getting nearer to where the teams just start to get a little bit better this week we're going to go over the kings and the wizards respectively in their timelines over the last 10 10 years or so since that lockout shortened season 2011 2012 um, but, uh, you know, it's going to be this episode going through it, man. I, I had some memories and, and really just a lot of mediocrity, um, you know, which I said at the top of the show here, but, uh, without further ado, let's kind of get into it. We're going to start 
with the Wizards of Washington here, who have not been to the finals since 1979, where they lost to the Sonics. And that is a very long time. That is fast approaching 50 years since their last chance to go to the finals. They actually haven't had a player elected to the All-NBA first team since that season, and uh, which is surprising because they've had, obviously, Brad Brad Beal the last few years, and then prior to that, John Wall, Gilbert Arenas, you know, in, in the late, I guess, early 2000s is what you would call it. Um, and then, you know, I didn't, I didn't go back too much further in the history other than to look through the different awards, but that's kind of crazy um, that they haven't had a first-team All-NBA type player in nearly 50 years. But it's not that uncommon. There's some other teams that we'll be going through in this in this history series, and um, you know you'll find that that is a little bit more common than you think. Um, but for this today's excursion, we're going to pick up at the tail end of that Gilbert Arenas era, um, which had been successful by Washington standards, right? They had made it into a few playoffs, got got through a first couple of rounds, you know, never never really got far. Um, even with him, and then basically they needed to blow up the team for a couple of reasons. They they obviously weren't having a ton of success. You had Gilbert Arenas and the kind of, you know, episode that he had with the unloaded firearms bringing them into an NBA facility, um, which basically was a domino effect of him being sent off in in coupled with the fact that he was, you know, obviously at the tail end of his prime the team really blows it up after that in that 2011-2012 season they get rid of head coach Flip Saunders who'd been coaching since 2009 bring in Randy Whitman um they do some trading as far as getting you know some some sending out their 2012 second round pick to bring in Ronnie Turiaf and the draft rights to two other players along with some other second round picks and they also send away Ronnie Turiaf pretty much immediately as well as JaVale McGee and Nick Young for Brian Cook and Nene and a second round pick um so some wheeling and dealing they went 20 and 46 for 14th in that shortened season leading scorers were John Wall 21 year old John Wall uh Nick Young who was their leading score through, you know, the 40 games out of the 60-plus that they played, 66 games that they played. You know, Nick Young was their second-leading scorer, so to send him away to break in basically draft draft equity. Um, they had JaVale McGee, who played, you know, some games for them, but it was 12 points a game. Like, obviously, this team was very bad. They went 20-46 and, um, and just continued to blow it up. But that let them get the number three overall pick in the draft, where they selected Bradley Beal um, and traded for Trevor Reza in that offseason, also selected Tomas Sadoransky, but uh, traded him away later. Jordan Crawford, who was the previous season's third leading scorer at 15 points a game, they traded him away for Leandro Barbosa and Jason Collins and some cap room. So, you know, I say this to say basically they were bringing in various players to try and help build around John Wall um, but still were inadequate um, you know sending away Jordan Crawford for who they could um, and uh, you know Bradley Beal makes first rookie all rookie first team that year but the team still goes 29 and 53 or 12th overall in the east 
that following season, they had uh, acquired Glenn Rice in the draft as well as Otto Porter um, and basically traded away Amika Okafor for Shannon Brown, Marcin Gotat, Malcolm Lee, Kendall Marshall, and some cap room. They also bring in Andre Miller, but uh, basically had a fire start to the season that year. On February 3rd, right before the, the deadline, the Wizards w- defeated the Portland Trailblazers to improve to a 24-23 and 23 record. This was the first time that the team had a winning record since 2009, so we're all the way in 2014. So that's basically five years of John Wall, uh, you know, obviously Bradley Beal, this is his second year on the team now, so it's not a ton of time wasted for him, but a lot of a lot of wasted John Wall years um, on the way to this this being 500. And the team continues throughout the season to finish 44 and 38, which is fifth in the East. Actually, probably one of their better finishes that they've had in this stretch, even since 2009. Um, you know, finishing basically 12th and 14th the years leading up to that um, for them to finish fifth is obviously a huge jump for them in the Eastern Conference but uh, they gentlemen swept the Bulls in that that first first round which was actually their first playoff series win since 2005 so it's nearly it's nine years since they had a playoff series win um, a, you know five years since they've been over 500 and uh, then they move on to lose to the Pacers in six in that following second round. So, you know, their second round appearance was probably the best they've done since 2005 where they also exited. And uh, that's good enough to, you know, kind of bolster the the outlook on, you know, John Wall, Bradley Beal, and what they were currently building. You know, the Wizards were just one of those teams where they kind of hung around the middle, good but not great. Um, but that would be tied for pretty much the best that they do in a while the following year 2014-2015 they select Jordan Clarkson in the second round which is a great pick they also bring in Paul Pierce for his kind of like final stint in the NBA before he retires Um, and then trade Andre Miller to bring in Ramon Sessions that 2014-2015 year John Wall makes all NBA the second team uh, and the team finishes 46 and 36 for fifth in the east where, you know, they got out of the first round yet again. So back-to-back years getting out of the first round, good for them. They swept the Raptors. Um, but then they lost to the Hawks in six. So, um, you know, and basically were cruising. The best the Wizards have pretty much looked in a very, very long time, 10-plus years. And unfortunately, in the second game, or the first game of the of the series against the Hawks, John Wall breaks his wrist, and he's out. Um, and it's just too much to do without their leading scorer. You know, even though Paul Pierce tried to put the the weight of the team on him, without John Wall, the Atlanta Hawks were able to just take care of the Wizards in six. Um, you know, five games pre- preceding that uh, that Wizards win in Game One. Um, so basically, following that, they bring in Kelly Oubre by trading away Jerrion Grant, who's their draft pick. In the 2015 draft, they also bring in Jared Dudley as well as Markeith Morris. And this is still not a great team uh, to surround John Wall with, who, despite 
you know, the recent years is highly durable during these times, right? He played 80, all 82 games of that 2014-2015 season where he fractures his wrist. The following season, 2015-2016, he's available for 77 games. You know, they have Otto Porter Jr. They have Kelly Oubre, who missed about 20 games. You know, Ramon Sessions is on the team. Jared Dudley's on the team. They bring in Markeith Morris kind of late. He only plays 27 uh, games for the team and Brad Beal also misses about 27 games so that's good enough for the the Wizards to go ahead and finish um, 10th in the East and miss the playoffs uh, they do finish 500 which is a you know a rarer feat um, for them but them not during this stretch right so f- during this let's say you know 20 13 season 2013 2014 season all the way up through their you know 2018 season they were in the playoffs um every single year right And this 2015 2016 season um was kind of like a blip in that where they finished at 500 which was 10th in the east which is unusual as well for the east right usually you have a team that's below 500 that's able to sneak into the playoffs at least as an eighth seed um and 41 and 41 just wasn't able to get it done that 2015-2016 season. I think he just had a lot of teams that were better. Um, a lot of the talent was more more focused, uh, evenly spread throughout the league. So entering that 2016-2017 season, they didn't have any draft picks, and their head coach Randy Whitman gets replaced by Scott Brooks. This is him coming off that you know that fairly successful Thunder run that we had talked about in, uh, two episodes ago. Um, so Scott Brooks finds a home here in Washington. And, um, you know, they start basically retooling the team just a bit. They bring in Bojan Bogdanovic, um, and, as well as Tomas Sadoransky. They send away Trey Burke for some draft picks. And the team does, you know, fairly well. You know, Brad Beal is a lot more healthy. He plays 77 games that year. Markeith Morris starts to find a bigger role on the team. John Wall, obviously only, not obviously, but only misses four games. Otto Porter Jr. is playing pretty well. You know, the team is fairly healthy. They bring in Boyan Bogdanovich uh, at the trade deadline with, you know, only 26 games left. So he's not a huge contributor. But in the games that he played, he's, you know, offering 13 points off the bench. Um, to help out, and Tomas Sadoransky plays 57 games due to injury um, and doesn't contribute as much, but nevertheless, the team is a bit retooled and does a lot better. They actually finish um, fourth in the East this time with a 49-33 and 33 record, which would have been their first 50-win season actually since becoming the Washington Wizards and that same season where they went to the NBA Finals um, in 1979 was their last 50-win season. Um, actually, they hadn't even come close to it since. The closest was uh, that same 2004-2005 season that they made it out of the first round of the playoffs we talked about earlier. Um, so in basically in 50 years, this was hardly or almost their best season, and it would be their best season um, for for years to come after that, right? So they... You know, they go 49 and 43. They beat the Hawks in six, but run up against the Celtics in round two. And this was the Celtics run that, that made it all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals and took LeBron to seven. For those of you that recall, it's that same, basically that same team that made the finals this most most recent season. Um, and that's the, these, this iteration of the Wizards is who took them to seven games. Um, 
And likely the reason they didn't get through the Cavs is because, you know, back-to-back seven-game series is really, really tough. Um, So, and then that was kind of it. Following that season is where the wheels start to come off a bit for the Wizards. The following season, they didn't do a ton of changes, but uh, John Wall basically misses half of the season um, due to injury. And the team just obviously is missing their leading scorer. Um, you know, Bradley Beal is able to play all 82 games for the Wizards. Otto Porter Jr. is still available. Same with Markeith Morris, Kelly Oubre, and Gortat. Um, you know, but they're missing their second leading scorer for half the season. This is where things start to fall apart for the Wizards, right? Without John Wall and Bradley Beal together, the team is only able to go 43-39. and 39. They finish eighth in the East, and they lose in six to the Raptors. Um, and that's where kind of the time runs out for the Wizards, right? The, the next season, they do have a lottery pick. They're able to pick 15th, which is hardly a lottery pick. Um, but they, you know, select Troy Brown Jr. They trade Gortat, who was their main big man, um, for uh, Austin Rivers and a little bit of cap space. And then continue to make a bunch of moves they pick up thomas bryant off waivers they signed dwight howard who's you know really trying to find his way in the league um they get some picks by trading away jason smith who didn't play a ton of time they re-back bring in trevor ariza by flipping austin rivers who they just got as well as Kelly Oubre. They also flip away Otto Porter Jr. for Jabari Parker and Bobby Portis and some picks. Then Markeith Morris is next to leave the team for Wesley Johnson. Um, and the team just looks, you know, by the end of the season, completely different. Um, in that 2018-2019 season, you have... You know, Bradley Beal is still there, plays 82 games. John Wall is rehabbing a bit. He only plays 32. Trevor Ariza plays 43 games for them. Bobby Portis plays 28. Jabari Parker plays 25. Tomas Sadoransky is a much, much bigger role on the team. He plays 80 games, but he only averages 9 points. Dwight Howard, due to some injury, only plays 9 games for them, despite being on the team for the entire, the entire season. But really... Um, what what did them in was John Wall re-injuring his left Achilles um, when he's trying to recover, and so the team goes 32 and 50, finish 11th in the East, um, and really, you know, obviously, like I said, the wheels start to come off even further for this team. Um, at the offseason, 2019 offseason, they fire their general manager Ernie Grunfeld, who's been with the team basically since 2003 and bring in Tommy Shepard. They select Rui Hachimura with the ninth overall pick, as well as bringing in Jonathan Simmons and Admiral Schofield uh, for cash, basically. Trade away Dwight Howard for C.J. Miles and bring in Davis Bertons for Aaron White. They also bring in Shabazz Napier and Jerome Robinson. But, you know, again, with Bradley Beal kind of being the cornerstone of the team here, obviously it's a... a covid shortened season that 2019 2020 season um you know even he only plays 57 games he misses about 15 games john wall doesn't play at all this year um rui hachimura misses some time as a rookie 
uh, Davis Bertans, pretty much everybody misses some significant time on the team as well. Um, Bradley Beal, this is also the year where he's kind of vying for the scoring title. So how much does that affect the style of play that the Wizards are playing um, in that 2019-2020 season? And they go 25-47, and 47, ninth in the East. The Wizards went 1-7 and seven in the bubble. You could kind of just tell uh, in the bubble that they, they kind of knew that they weren't they weren't putting it together, really. Um, and here comes kind of Scott Brooks's last chance here with the Wizards entering that 2020-2021 shortened season. You know, they take Denny Advija, who to this date hasn't really shown great, right? So, you know, Rui Hachimura, Denny Advija, they're taking some chances. Troy Brown Jr. the year prior, they're not really drafting super well. Um, it's not like they could take better picks, but it's just where the picks fall. They're kind of just left to not have a bunch of pieces put together, but they trade for, um, Russell Westbrook by trading away John Wall and their 2023 pick. So next year that they're not going to have a pick that's going to go to the Rockets. Um, they also bring in Daniel Gafford and Chandler Hudsonson by sending away Troy Bound Jr. and Mo Mo Wagner, um, who was literally just brought in the previous season uh, when they were just randomly involved in the Anthony Davis trade. But that 2020-2021 season with, you know, Bradley Beal vying for the, the the NBA scoring title yet again, he was averaging, you know, um, 31.3 points to Steph's. I think it was like 32. It was like very, very, very close and kind of came down to the last couple of games of the season. Bradley Beal makes all-NBA third team. And uh, the they do make the playoffs. So it was their first playoff appearance since, um, you know, that 2017-2018 uh, season, having missed the playoffs for a couple of times. But they get gentlemen swept by the Sixers. Again, you know, obviously without – with Russell Westbrook on the team, even still, you know, there was some chemistry issues going on supposedly with – how they were actually playing and, and how Russell Westbrook fit, fit into that system. And Scott Brooks gets replaced by Wes Unseld Jr. Um, has, as head coach, his time had basically come to an end with, you know, only making the playoffs a couple of times and having first-round exits in both of them, right? I mean, he had been brought in for that 2016-2017 season, you know, and – made it to the second round following season they lose in the first round miss the playoffs for two years and then bring russell westbrook in you know who's scott brooks's old buddy and still get gentlemen swept in the first round so scott brooks is out he's replaced by wes unseld jr funny little tidbit wes unseld senior was the one and only mvp for the team that was in 1969 uh, and he was also the finals mvp in 1978 when they won which was right before their last visit to the finals in 1979 so his son now is coaching the team which is pretty interesting right you know nepotism and all that good stuff still exists in the league um just joking but uh they really start to blow it up here and retool and obviously build around bradley beal um so they take Corey kispert round one in the 2021 nba draft he hasn't made a huge splash these last couple of years trade away Chandler Hudson as well as Russell Westbrook um, and a couple of picks to bring in KCP, Spencer Dinwiddie, Montrez Harrell, Aaron Holiday, Kyle Kuzma, 
and uh, basically a second round pick. Montrez Harrell is on the team for a limited amount of time before he's traded away for Vernon Carey and Ish Smith. Ish Smith making his second stint on the team. Kristaps Porzingis later that season is brought in for Davis Bertans and Spencer Dinwiddie, um, which at the time I was kind of scratching my head. I, I didn't think that was a great move for the Wizards to bring in Kristaps Porzingis when you had two, you basically had two nickels and you trade him in for a dime. That's really only worth eight cents, if that makes sense. Um, but obviously with all this retooling and, and, and Brad Beal missing um, a little bit of time that 2021 2022 season you um yeah Bradley Bill missed half the season and uh the Wizards go 35 and 47 12th in the east so that kind of brings us to where we are today um the Wizards have made some moves in the offseason they re-signed Bradley Bill they also signed DeLon Wright and Todd Gibson they traded KCP and Ish Smith and some some trade exceptions to bring in Will Barton and Monte Morris, which kind of brings down, um, you know, the commitments that they have moving forward past this year. So, you know, the outlook for the Wizards is they're kind of heavy at the top. They have, you know, Bradley Beal making 43 mil and on average about 48 mil the next five years through the 2026-2027 season. They have Kristaps Porzingis for this year and a player option for 36 mil Next year, I can't imagine he re-signs. I mean, obviously, he'll pick up the player option, but we'll see if the Wizards end up offloading him. They have Kyle Kuzma at 13 mil with a player option for 13 mil for the following season. They'll either need to extend him or do some type of sign-and-trade. And then after that, not even the talent, because Bradley Bill, Kristaps Porzingis, and Kyle Kuzma is your big three. Like That's maybe a second-round exit in an Eastern Conference that's just getting more and more competitive if they do even make the playoffs i think the ceiling is a second round exit um as currently constructed you know and that's assuming everybody stays healthy but the talent beyond that i mean you don't really have a lot that you that you want to keep on this roster and you don't really have a ton of equity to do it with right i mean they have a, a lottery protected pick that goes to new york in the first round over the over the next four years, um, so they don't really have a draft draft piece, and then you know they have some second round picks or whatever, but it's kind of a mess to navigate, and they haven't really been successful in the draft anyway, um, so they can't really lean on the draft. Washington D.C. as far as a market that is appealing when you have you know Boston and New York short drive away as well as Miami, like kind of in between these two bigger better markets in Washington I mean it's just really tough to foresee this Washington team really being able to build and I hate the argument that oh small markets can't do it small markets can do it but you have to be able to draft well and the Wizards have not displayed that they're able to draft really well so it either has to come through a trade where you know I think the the Russell Westbrook to bring in, you know, Montrezl Harrell, KCP, Kyle Kuzma, that was a great trade for the Wizards because they got off the Russell Westbrook contract and and got a lot of pieces that were integral to the Lakers winning that championship in the bubble in 2020. And we saw how the Lakers went without all those pieces last year. Um, 
But then to turn around and trade those better pieces for Christoph Przingis and, and sign DeLon Wright, who's like a 30-year-old, you know, not showing great signs, even though he's only making 8 mil. Like, I'm not very high on this Wizards team, you know, the same way that I was on I was feeling better about like the Pacers and the Blazers and where they're at and where they're going. Like this Wizards team, like I wouldn't be surprised if they miss even the play-in game next year. Um, you know, of the teams that we talked about, like they're probably down there with the Magic in terms of they just have to have a lot of stuff go right for them to even be competitive, right, in the East. Um it's just, it is what it is, you know? Like, unfortunately, they are going to struggle. Same as, you know, the Magic and the Pistons, like, the Wizards. They're probably going to make up the bottom, despite having Brad Beal. Unless Kristaps Porzingis and Kyle Kuzma play, like, way above their 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 levels that they've played the last few years, like, the Wizards team is going to be bad. It's going to be bad. Maybe they'll make the play-in as, like, the 10 seed. But, you know, um, I think as we go through this order in the East, it's very much probably going to remain the order um, as we move through it. So not a lot, not a lot of positive things to say about the wizards as much as I try and, and be positive about everybody. They just haven't demonstrated that they're in a position to really warrant a ton of success. So obviously not taking flyers on them to win the division, probably take their under for the win total. Um, even though last year I took the over because it was so low. I thought they were just had better pieces last year going into the season that they do this year. So we'll take a break and we'll go to my home away from home, Sacramento. Sacramento, Sacramento, man. If you were a breath, you would need a mento. Jesus, you know, because y'all stink. <laughs> I crack myself up sometimes. Um, the Kings have the longest streak of missing the playoffs so when i say that they are bad they are bad 16 consecutive losing seasons 16 consecutive seasons of missing the playoffs they formerly had probably the worst gm in Vladi divak they have a questionable owner in uh, our boy vivek um but they did get a much better head coach this offseason with mike brown taking over um as we go through this it's just going to be a lot of a lot of heartache for the Sacramento fans to have to relive through this, much more so than the Wizards. I mean, the Wizards had a streak there where at least they were making the playoffs, they were competitive, you know, fourth in the East was their peak, um, you know, and they could blame a lot of their non-success on injuries. The Kings, unfortunately, cannot blame a lot of their success on or lack thereof on injuries and things like that they are just a poorly managed team poorly constructed and we will go through exactly where they went wrong so their last finals appearance was in the 1950-1951 season so it has been over 70 years since they even had an opportunity to win a championship by making it into the series at that time they were the rochester royals three moves have happened since they were the Rochester Royals, for them to become the Sacramento Kings in the 1985-86 season. Um, since that move in that 86 season, they've only made the playoffs 10 total times. They've had six first-round exits, three second-round exits, and one 
finals conference appearance, which was the, uh, don't get me wrong, it was the highly controversial Lakers series where it seemingly the refs forgot how a whistle works every time that they had the ball, but figured it out when the Lakers had the ball um, and were able to extend the series to a game seven. And obviously the Lakers, big shot Bob, took care of business then. And, uh, you know, the Lakers would, of course, um, move on. Um, so really, really tough to be a Sacramento fan. Really tough, really tough. You have Golden State an hour away, um, who's just a much, I guess, wealthier, well-constructed, well-ran team. Even their logo is better. Like, everything is better an hour away. So it's tough. It's tough being a Sacramento fan with another team that close. And, you know, it, it just is what it is. So um, I'm trying not to beat up Sacramento as much as possible, but they just kind of have the cards stacked against them, especially when you go back through their history. It's just tough. It's just tough. But anyway, um, starting in that shortened, lockout shortened season, they basically, <laughs> right from the jump, they're messing up, right? So they're involved in this, like, crazy three-team trade. Um, where they select Bismarck Biongo with the, the number seven overall pick, but immediately trade him away along with their starting guard, Bino Udro. I'm probably saying that name wrong, but whatever. Trade him away for John Solomons and Jimmer Fredette. John Solomons had been struggling in the league, and basically fans and media were just like, what are you doing to this team? Um, they also trade away Omri Caspi for J.J. Hickson and are basically putting all their eggs in the basket of, you know, the Stormin' Mormon who played 61 games for them and scored eight points. Marcus Thornton is their leading scorer with DeMarcus Cousins and Tyreek Evans. They're also battling basically relocation. Um, they're defending off a relocation move that's done by the uh, – by, by just teams that want to move them or people, organizations and interests that want to move the team from Sacramento to Seattle because this is obviously seven years of them being terrible and, and not really selling out crowds. Um, so they're fending off relocation. Tyreek Evans and DeMarcus Cousins are basically their saving grace. But even still, the team only goes 22 and 44, 14th overall. Um, and then basically replace their head coach Paul Westfall with Keith Smart. You're going to hear a lot of that because the coaches don't last long in Sacramento. Following year, DeMarcus Cousins and Tyreek Evans are basically the two that really keep things together for the Sacramento team as best as possible. They go 28 and 54 in that 2012-2013 season. And finally, and at the end of the the 2012-2013 season, the Maloofs sell the Kings um, to their current owner and then basically make a record amount of money in $535 million, uh, which to today's standards isn't a lot, but this is, you know, nine years ago when they make this deal <clears throat> and they bring in Michael Malone to head coach instead of Keith Smart. Keith Smart obviously didn't last very long, and they also replaced their GM, Chris Granger, with Jeff Petrie. Um, they select Ben McLemore with the number one, seven overall pick in the first round um and also funny enough Shaq buys a piece of the team um business-minded hopefully he doesn't have to do much with 
what happens after this. So they trade away Tyreek Evans for basically draft capital from the Knicks. Um, and Tyreek Evans, like literally people made signs that said, thank heaven for Tyreek Evans because because of the hope that he and DeMarcus Cousins were able to generate, the team was able to stay in Sacramento uh, via a vote. The city decided to build a new arena that would open in a few years um, and move them from Sleep Train Amphitheater to Golden One Center where they play now. And there was literal, like, like people thought Tyreek Evans was, like, the messiah for the Kings. And they trade him away for, for draft capital, which is um, silly in my, in, my, in my view. They also trade away Luke Mbamute to bring in Derek Williams, who is at the tail end of his career. Um, and then they, you know, trade Chuck Hayes, Patrick Patterson, John Salmons, away for Quincy Acey, Rudy Gay, and Aaron Gray and some trade exceptions. They also bring in Reggie Evans and Jason Terry for Marcus Thornton. So basically, the Maloof sell the team. They bring in a new head coach and a new GM and basically decide to get rid of anything worth value to bring in basically players that are at the tail end of their career, past their primes, draft capital, and hit the advance button on this rebuild so they go 28 and 54 finish 13th following season they have the eighth pick in the 2014 draft and they take nick stauskas um and trade away isaiah thomas who had replaced tyreek evans as the pick and roll party to demarcus cousins um but they trade him away they sign darren collison quincy ac who they just gotten the previous season uh, as well as Travis Outlaw, is traded away for Wayne Ellington and some cap room. Jason Terry is traded to the Houston Rockets, along with two second-round picks to bring in Alonzo G, Scotty Hobson, who are both awful. Um, they had Ramon Sessions on the team, but trade him away to bring Andre Miller in, again trading for some players that are at the tail end of their careers and not going to add tremendous value to the team while trading away the pieces that had been valuable, i.e. Isaiah Thomas. Um, and basically they get rid of their head coach from the previous season, Mike Malone and bring in Corbin Tyrone Corbin. He only coaches 28 games of the season. And then they bring in George Carl and basically throughout this whole time to Marcus cousin is, is basically the saving grace of the team. Uh, and just putting up monster numbers. He gets elected to an all-star game to replace Kobe when Kobe was injured. Um, but he, the team goes 29-53. and 53. They're literally one game better uh, and still finish 13th. Um, and this is really where things just go bad because the Kings get rid of their GM again and bring in Vladi Divac, who has to be the worst GM in the history of, of GMs seriously, like with all these moves. So they select Willie Colley Stein with the number six overall pick in the 2015 draft, which Willie Colley Stein going fifth at that time, probably you're like, okay, like let's give him a chance, right? He's just coming off his college career and he looked pretty good. Um, but in that same draft, you had Miles Turner, Devin Booker, Kelly Oubre, Terry Rozier, Bobby Portis even. Like, Stanley Johnson could have shown you flashes. Miles Turner. Uh, even Frank Kaminsky, Larry Nance Jr. Like, you had all these other 
better option. Montrez Harrell's in the same draft. And I'm not saying, like, you know, obviously what Willie Cauley-Stein's shown in Kentucky is going to be, you know, obviously what they're making their their draft choices off and hindsight's 2020. But even from that Kentucky team, you could have taken Devin Booker uh, in the spot that you were at because you already had your big in DeMarcus Cousins. So you're basically trying to bolster that position and didn't have anything. So it gets worse, right? So they last year's first-round lottery draft pick, they trade him, Carl Landry, Jason Thompson, a first-round pick in 2016, another first-round pick, and a conditional 2019 first-round pick for the draft rights to two guys where you couldn't even pronounce their names, let alone allow them into the league, Arturis Gudiades and Luka Mitrovic, um, and basically cap space. And so the six and to the Sixers, right? So you trade away last year's number one overall pick. You trade away multiple first-round picks, like three first-round picks and two players to get these two players' draft rights back who you don't even bring onto the team. Um, and the 76ers give up basically nothing to get what would turn into a number one overall pick because the Kings are still so bad. Um, and it's literally, like literally you look up this, this one particular trade where it's three players plus three first round draft picks for two draft guys that weren't even lottery selections. And it's literally regarded as one of the worst trades in history. And it's right when Vladi Divac takes over in 2015. It is wild, right? Um, they also bring in Rajon Rondo and Marco Bellinelli, um, and the team is just bad. I mean, they go 33 and 49, so they improve by four games um, to finish 10th in the West, but they still, still are terrible. Um, they get rid of George Carl instead of instead of making it make sense, bring in Dave Yoger. Um, the Golden One Center is finally available in that 2016-2017 season, so they have a new stadium. Um, and they basically trade away Marquise Chris, who they just select uh, with the eighth overall pick in the 2016 draft to bring in Bogdan Bogdanovich, who is one of their better players over these last, you know, over this next four-year stretch. So that's probably the brightest spot uh, that they have. And they also... So they bring in two other players in that same trade where they trade away Marquise Crisp. Then they trade away DeMarcus Cousins, who's been their all-star player for the last, you know, four years, five years, with Omri Caspi to the Pelicans to bring back Tyreek Evans and bring in Buddy Heald, uh, a first-round pick and a second-round pick in the in next year's draft, who would turn into, um, you know, Zach Collins, De'Aaron Fox, and Justin Jackson. But... To trade away DeMarcus Cousins for Tyreek Evans, because those are basically the two two big pieces of the deal, is just foolish because you could have had Tyreek Evans because you traded him away for peanuts years before. You literally trade him away to let him go to the Pelicans for literally like nothing. For 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 freaking nothing like you trade like the the kings are just incredible at, at just messing up um because you traded him away for three second round picks that turn into nothing and then you bring him back later for your 
all-star for what? For Buddy Heald? Like, Buddy Heald makes all-NBA first team, but he is not DeMarcus Cousins. Now, DeMarcus Cousins was clearly unhappy while he was on the Kings. He said they need to pay him more. You know, he's done more for the organization than the organization has done for him. Like, obviously, DeMarcus Cousins is very unhappy, so your odds of keeping him for the long term aren't that great. But just pay the man more instead of bringing in Tyreek Evans, Langston Galloway, and Buddy Heald and a couple of picks that are destined to be bad because the Pelicans are going to be good now that they have DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis, or at least that's the thinking at the time. Another 50-loss season. They go 32-50 and 50 that 2016-27 season, finish 12th in the West, and have the number five overall pick the following season and select De'Aaron Fox. They also select Zach Collins with the 10th overall pick, trade him away for Harry Giles and Justin Jackson. This was actually end up being a good move because Zach Collins had a lot of injury issues. Even now, he's only barely getting back on the court for the Spurs. But they signed Zach Randolph, George Hill, and Vince Carter to bring in some veteran experience to the Sacramento Kings. Again, bringing in guys past their prime towards the tail end of the career that likely don't want to be there, just want to get a check. Um, and later that season, they end up trading George Hill for Joe Johnson and Mon Shepard and basically cap space with a, a couple of draft picks. They waive Joe Johnson immediately. So it's really just Iman Shumpert for George Hill. So I guess you're going younger but less proven in the guard space. Um, and the team does worse. 26 and 55. They finished 12th overall. And again, this is this is probably where it gets gets the worst for Vladi and his his run here. So basically, not basically, but they have the number two overall pick in the 2018 draft. And with all the buzz about DeAndre Ayton, Luka Doncic, Trey Young, and everything else that was in this draft. They take Marvin Bagley, with which is mind-boggling what the obsession with big men is. Maybe they're trying to replace DeMarcus Cousins. They had just gotten De'Aaron Fox the previous year. Um, maybe they were higher on, you know, Justin Jackson and Harry Giles, you know, filling in that big man role. Willie Cauley-Stein was obviously still on the team. So why bring in Marvin Bagley? Why? Like, it's literally mind-boggling when you have Luka Doncic and you have Trey Young. And I'm not here to beat up the Kings because they've been beat up so much for making this selection. But still to this day, it literally makes no sense. Um, that season, they also try and sign Zach Levine that offseason because he's a restricted free agent, which would have been a good move. But the Bulls, obviously, very astute, and they kept Zach Levine, so that fails for them. Um, they also select Gary Trent, who ends up being a good, developing a lot of good value on the Blazers, but at the time was maybe just an undersized guard. They'd basically trade him away for two draft picks, and they trade away Ben McLemore for, to bring in Garrett Temple. Sounds familiar, right? Old Older player, past his prime, bring him in. Um they also bring in Harrison Barnes. Harrison Barnes has been a little bit better for them uh, than expected, but even him is getting a little bit older at this point. He's like 26 um, when they bring him on the team. And uh, just just awful, awful moves. And amidst all of this, their CRO, Chief Revenue Officer, Jeff David, 
embezzles $13.4 million from the team over the course of four years, um, who pleads guilty to wire fraud and basically goes to jail for seven years. So not only are they making terrible decisions in the front office, there's corruption, rampant corruption going on in the Kings um, through that year. So, I mean, in this 2018-2019 season, you have Buddy Heald, De'Aaron Fox, who, you know, are your 20 and 18 point a game backcourt. Marvin Bagley misses 20 games. Harrison Barnes only plays 28 games because he's brought in later. Bogdan Bogdanovich plays 70 games, scores 14 points. Willie Cauley-Stein plays 81 games, scores 12 points a game. You also have Baylitsa, and he's not doing that great. For him to be a champion this year, his role was a lot different than, than the 30 games that he played for the Kings that year. Um, but the team barely misses playoffs. They go 39 and 43, which is good enough to finish ninth in the West. This is probably their only top 10 finish in this entire stretch that we had just, and the closest that they actually get to making the playoffs. But because of all of these wheeling and dealing done by Vladi Divac, they have no draft picks, even though they finished ninth in this 2019-2020 draft. They have three second rounders who are all foreign guys who end up being awful and what do they do after they have their best season ever they get rid of their head coach they had their best season that they've had in 13 years going 39 and 43 two games short of 500 and they fire their head coach and replace him with luke walton who is just a beacon of coaching experience so again another head scratching move from vladi and the front office um and it just just continues, right? They bring in Dwayne Deadman um, and send him away a year later for Alex Len and Jabari Parker, who had both demonstrated that they are cheap players that maybe could play up to their value, if that. They send away Trevor Reza, Wenyan Gabriel, who they just acquired the year before, to bring in Kent Bazemore and Anthony Tolliver and a couple second-round picks, which are doomed to be awful. But that shortened 2019-2020 season with Luke Walton at the helm, they do make it to the bubble. Uh, they go 3-5 and five in the bubble to finish 31-41 and 41 and finish 12th. Nobody really thought they deserved to make the playoffs or were going to make a deep run. But the Kings finally wisen up a bit. Um, and Vladi Divac resigns at the beginning of the 2020-2021 season. They bring in Joe Dumars um, as an interim GM for about a month before they hire Monte McNair, who is now the GM. So when I judge the Kings, I have to take a step back and realize that a lot of what they're dealing with is the ramifications of Vladi Divac and, and, and what he had been able to do for this run um, where he is the GM. Right, like we kind of have to deal with the hole that that Vladi has made here, you know, since being elected GM in 2015. Right, so he had five years to basically ruin this team with bad trades and bad decisions, and Monte McNair is kind of having to deal with those ramifications. Now, do things get better for the Kings? No, they take Tyrese Halliburton with the 12th overall pick, which is an absolute steal. 
They also have three second rounders, um, and they trade one of them, Xavier Tillman, to the Grizzlies for Robert Woodard II. Uh, and he doesn't play a ton of minutes, but Xavier Tillman's got a pretty good role on the Memphis Grizzlies, so kind of head-scratcher there. They do get rid of Corey Joseph, which was a great move by them in, in my brain, and bring in DeLon Wright, who's found a home on another team now, but uh, was a, a little bit of an upgrade for for the Kings. Um, they waive Jabari Parker, and they trade away Bielitsa for Mo Harkless, and Chris Silver, which saves them a ton of cap space. So they go 31-41 and 41 in Halliburton's first season to finish 12th overall in the West, um, which matched their previous season record. But the, the bleeding stops a little bit. Now, they do take Davion Mitchell in the 2021 draft, which, you know, you could argue maybe could have been a different, better pick, but they were selecting ninth overall. So, you know, after that, there isn't a ton of good options in the 2021 draft beyond that. I mean, maybe they could have got Josh Primo or Chris Duarte. Chris Duarte is a little bit old. Josh Primo is only coming together because he's on the uh, the Spurs and under the development of Pop. But, you know, there's not – you can't really judge the move so far, but obviously the talent was a little bit higher – on the uh, on the draft, so they take Davion Mitchell, but the head scratching move a little bit is later on this previous season, where they trade away DeLon Wright for Tristan Thompson. It's fine, but then they trade Tristan Thompson, Buddy Heald, and Tyrese Halliburton for Justin Holiday, Jeremy Lamb, Demontis Sabonis, and a second round pick, which. You would think that they would rather trade away De'Aaron Fox, who's kind of shown you a little bit more of who he can be and opt to go younger and pair him with DeMontis Sabonis, who's not that old. Um, But the Kings don't do that because they're the Kings, right? But they do also finally get off Marvin Bagley, and they trade him for Dante DiVincenzo, Josh Jackson, Trey Lyles, and a a couple of draft picks. But um, unfortunately... They let Dante DiVincenzo walk at the end of the season. He's now currently with the Warriors. So really they gave up Marvin Bagley for nothing. But he wanted to be trade. There was there's chemistry issues. There's beef. He was never really going to develop into a great player on the Kings. And the Kings fans were ready to move off of him as well. Um, and speaking of moving off, 17 games into last season, they replaced Luke Walton with Alvin Gentry. Alvin Gentry is famous as an interim coach who just comes in to, you know, basically manage a team into the lottery um, whenever you don't need a head coach. And for the 16th season in a row, the Kings failed to reach the playoffs, thus passing the Clippers for the longest playoff drought in NBA history. There was a meme that came out this week that said the no active player has played the Kings in the playoffs, which is just insane. Um, especially because you have some like longer tenured players in the league, like Steph, Chris Paul. Um, I'm thinking of just players in the West that would have, that would have played somebody in the Kings. Um, but even still, like they missed him by like five years. Like Steph wasn't even in the league till 2009. Chris Paul was technically in the league, but I don't know when the Hornets would have ever matched up with the Kings in the playoffs. Um, they never would have 
But nevertheless, like to go that long of a playoff drought is just embarrassing as a city. Um, 30 and 52 last year to finish 12th yet again. They seem to really like that slot, that 12th, that 12th place slot. Um, they do select Keegan Murray. Um, so the draft picks have been better these last three years since Vladi departed, right? Tyrese Halliburton, Xavier Tillman, flipping Xavier Tillman into additional picks, even though they don't really turn into anything. Davion Mitchell, who turns out to be okay, but they're a little bit guard heavy now. Keegan Murray, who's the summer league MVP, turns out to be a good pick. I know a lot of Kings fans are, are really excited about him. Um, bringing in Kevin Herter for Maurice Mo Harkless and Justin Holiday, um, even though they have to send away a 2024 first round pick, like the team as constructed right now has a, has a few things going for it. First and foremost, they don't really owe any of their draft picks anywhere, right? So they have their own 2023 draft pick, which is good. They also have a lottery protected pick uh, the following year that goes to Atlanta if they fall out of the lottery, which they haven't been out of the lottery in, in years, and I don't really expect them to this year. They are they do bring in Malik Monk um, from the Lakers, which is a good move, right? Um, and the team, as constructed, is fairly young, not like super young, but fairly young, right? Um, you have De'Aaron Fox, who's 24, Sabonis, 26, Harrison Barnes is their oldest player at 30. You have Rashawn Holmes, who's 28. Both have demonstrated tremendous value as big men. Kevin Herter's 23, Malik Monk's 24, Davion Mitchell's 23. Like, and they're all fairly cheap. Your most expensive player is De'Aaron Fox making 30 mil, and then even Sabonis makes less than 20 mil a year. So the roster is fairly inexpensive. You have a lot of high-ceiling guys um, on the team. Like Fox, I feel like, has a high-ceiling. You know, Kevin Herter, Rashawn Holmes, Malik Monk is nice and athletic. Um, you don't have a ton of shooting, which is concerning, in especially in the West. But this roster, as constructed, I feel the best about for the Kings moving forward than I have in years looking at the different rosters that the Kings have put together. Um, you know, so Kings fans, you might not be, you're not going to be at the top of the West. You're not going to be a playoff team. Are you going to be a play-in team? Potentially, right? Like, I could see you guys being better than the Thunder and the Rockets and the Spurs, right? And that's where it kind of gets interesting on whether or not you're going to be you know, incredible after that, right? Can you be better than a Utah Jazz who's going to be going through their rebuilding type thing? And if you are, like, you only have to be the fifth or sixth best team or worst team in the West to make it over that hump, right? Like, so bottom of the bottom, you're going to have the Rockets for sure. You're going to have the Thunder for sure. Then you're going to have, like, Kings... Blazers, Jazz, Spurs, right? Those four teams and the way they fall are going to very much determine whether or not the Kings make the playing game. Now, the Blazers have a little bit better talent with, you know, as we spoke about before with Damian Lillard and and uh, uh, Jeremy Grant and Anthony Simons, Yusuf Nurkic. Like, don't get me wrong. The Blazers are definitely better than you. 
can you be better than the Jazz and the Thunder and the Rockets and the Spurs and hope one of these other teams kind of falls out of the sky in the West? Like, if the Pelicans run into injuries or the Clippers run into injuries and mail it in similarly to last year, right? Like, you're aiming for that 10th spot so you can make the play-in game and hopefully upset somebody to make the playoffs for the first team, first time in 17 years and not extend this streak any further. Um and that's my hope for you, Kings fans in Sacramento. I will be going to Golden One Center at some point to watch a game. And I like the roster. I don't think the roster is terrible. I think it's better than some of the other teams that are lower in the uh, in the standings and pantheon of this Western Conference. And you'll be able to steal a bunch of games against your Eastern counterparts. So can you put together enough games to make the 10th spot? And you only have to really be better than, like, two teams, the Blazers and the Jazz. If you're better than those two teams, you will, by default, be better than three other teams, and you'll you'll get it. You'll get that 10th spot. Super hard, high bar to set for the Kings, right? Get that 10th spot. Get that 10th spot. But it is what it is. And uh, that's my time for today. We've been having it for an hour. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Wizards and Kings, man. Wizards and Kings. Um but uh, it was fun to do little programming note for the next two weeks just so you guys are aware I will be traveling a ton so I will have episodes coming out on Wednesdays that's no problem but I will have recorded them I'm recording those right after I record this one so um, you know if any major trade happens between you know the uh, the Lakers or the Spurs or the Hornets or the Knicks, because um, those will be the four teams covered in the next two episodes. Just know that this episode was recorded basically on, on the 27th of July. Um, so if anything happens over the next two weeks with those four teams um, and we don't get to speak on it or it's old, just know that the episodes were recorded um, prior. And I'll mention that at the top of each show just so you can have a refresher in case you didn't make it all the way to the end of this one. But, you know, stay safe over these next three weeks until I talk to you. I'm sure I'll have to make, you know, some addendums when we come back on the episode of the 17th, when I am back in the States and coming back live and direct for you, but we'll be closer to the start of the season. Hopefully the schedule will come out. So we'll start to get put together some, some NBA totals and things like that for you. But until then, stay safe, stay healthy, stay wise, stay wealthy. And, uh, I'll talk to you then. Bye-bye.